Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why does making friends as an adult feel so what hard? What should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a four But that hookup was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Every Girl Podcast. It's your host, Josie, here. Hi, welcome back. Josie, let's get right into Ask the Every Girl. The question is, we all dislike one of our best friend's guy and no one wants him around. Help. I guess that's not a question, but that's the concern we're addressing today. Great question because I I feel like every single person has experienced this at least once. Like this is such a common thing. Yeah. To not get along with your friend, significant other, to not like them, to think they could do better. I definitely have experienced this many times. My personal thoughts on this is obviously there is the realm of if you are worried about the emotional or physical safety of your friend, that's a different conversation. Like yeah. If, it goes into the realm of potential abuse, then that's something you seek out a therapist for and go about it in a totally different way, obviously. But I'm going to discuss if you just don't like them because you think your friend could do better because you don't think they're that great of a person. In my opinion, every time, no matter what, you keep it to yourself. I just Mm -hmm. think there's no way it will end well. Like, let's say you bring up concerns to your friend. Best case could just be like, thanks for telling me. I appreciate it. But who has ever broken up with their significant other because (laughs) a friend said to? Best case scenario, nothing really happens. I just don't think that that would be the catalyst for any change. Worst case, which I think is what happens most commonly, is the friend feels like you're being judgmental feels like they cannot go to you and then starts distancing herself from you. I just think no matter what, keep it to yourself. And I hate to say it, but sometimes that is what being a good friend is, is realizing that what your friend wants in a partner is likely very different from you. So even if you're looking at this person thinking, I would never date someone like this, I would never marry someone like this, they obviously think that they're a good person for them for whatever reason. And I think our job as friends is not to parent our friends, but to allow them space to make their own decisions and support them. Mm. I think there's obviously a confirmation bias where if we decide they're trash, we will keep looking for ways that they are trash. I have definitely experienced that. I have a friend whose boyfriend Me and my boyfriend will go when we see them because they don't live here. But when we'll see them, I will rant about him after the fact. I'm like, 
did you notice that he did this? And he said this, and look how he did this to her. (laughs) Because I'm subconsciously searching for all the things that I don't like about him. And so I realized I have already stated within myself, I'm not a fan. I don't think he treats her great. But let me start looking at what is she like about him? She obviously Mm -hmm. feels like he is someone that makes her feel safe, feel loved, feel fulfilled, feel happy. You know, that's what you hope someone feels in relationships. It's my job as her friend to start looking for those things instead of looking for all the ways he's trash. And then when it comes to the case of those friends that you want to shake to be like, you are so much better than this. Yes. You deserve so much better. Like this guy's a piece of yeah. shit. Like, you deserve so much better. And like, when it's a case of they're not treating your friend well, to me, even then, it, it cannot be beneficial to say they don't treat you well because then they'll start being defensive of their significant other and they'll start yeah. hiding things from you. And I've also ha- had that happen before where they start being protective of their significant other. So then they start yep. you that they can't trust. So in my opinion, in those instances, I always think, okay, let me instead show my friend how they deserve to be loved through my actions. Obviously, what a friendship can do is very different than a significant other romantic relationship. Is the guy that you don't like not being supportive with her career? So then you be her biggest supporter for her career. You know, you're showing her and teaching her how she deserves to be loved. I think that's another way to think of this. Um, I actually have learned whether I love the significant other of my friends or not, I have learned the sweet spot is when friends complain about their significant other or they're venting about a fight or worrying about something, I have learned the sweet spot between listening and supporting, but not agreeing. If your friend is coming to you saying, oh, my boyfriend, he's so annoying. Like he sucks. He's doing X, Y, Z. I've learned to be like, wow, oh, I'm so sorry you're feeling this way. But to not say, you're right. He sucks. Like get him out. <laughs> because... Then the next day after the fight's over, they kind of, it's almost like you're drunk on the rage in your relationship. And like, we've all been there where we're venting and we're saying things that we don't mean. And then after the fact, you feel like I shouldn't have said that because now my friend is going to think poorly of my significant other. And then they start withdrawing. So they'll stop telling you things because they almost want to make up for what they've told you. I've noticed this in friendships where... They will vent, tell me a lot, and then almost try to make up for it and hide things. I'll follow up. They'll be like, oh my gosh, that was nothing. Like I'm being so dramatic. Yes. They don't want me to see the You know what I mean? Like I've seen that happen so many times. So in order to counteract that, obviously you don't want to disagree with your friend if they're saying, I'm really upset, we're in a fight. But to be like supportive of the relationship while also listening and offering support to your friend. In the beginning stages of my relationship, my best friend that I always wanted to do was so good about this because I would be crying to her. Like there was this one time I remember the first time that Joey, my boyfriend, I ever got in a fight. We got in a fight because I had something until nine o'clock at night. So we were going to go out together and he decided he didn't want to go out anymore. He had to wake up early for baseball practice. We were in college for people who don't know this story. And and I was so pissed and I was crying to my best friend being like, he doesn't really love me. Like he doesn't want to come hang out with me. And she was like, you're being, and maybe this was an instance of like, I was not sane of mind, but she was (laughs) the best. 
He loves you so much. Like she was fighting for him. And that's what I wanted to hear. Even though I wanted her in the moment to kind of be like, yeah, men suck. Her saying, no, he's amazing. Then it made me want to open up to her more and more and more. So every time we would get in a fight, I felt like I could go to her because she had both of our best interests. And and I loved my boyfriend. I wanted someone to go to that had both of our best interests, if that makes sense. So my thoughts is to find the space yeah. between listening and supporting, but not agreeing with and always making your friend feel like you also have her significant other's best interest in mind and that you're a fan of theirs. Obviously that's different advice if they're breaking up and you're trying to get her through. Yeah. Breakup, but just yeah. for like the average normal relationship fight. So yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's controversial to be like, never say anything, but that's my thoughts. I've never said I strongly dislike your significant other or been like, I think they're wrong for you. I never want to open that can of worms because I feel like it tends to go badly. Or even sometimes I found that implying that you think it might be wrong can end up with a strong reaction from your friend sometimes as well. So I generally tend to avoid it. But I loved what you said about showing, not telling them how they deserve to be treated. I think that that's the best thing you can do as a friend is instead of telling your friends what they should be doing with their lives in general, not just applying to this situation, but also in general, show them how much you believe in them and how much you think they deserve so that they can start to believe it too. And then that's going to come to fruition in their real lives. And maybe she will realize that she deserves better than the guy. Speaking specifically to the younger side of dating, the stakes are a little less high. And I feel like it's really important for everyone to go through experiences and have relationships that are maybe wrong for them or just like live out those moments. So in certain cases, I reassure myself by being like, she knows deep down that this is not her forever person. We're 22. She knows this is not who she's going to end up with forever. She's just having an important learning experience. And you have to have that trust in your friends. They're not an idiot. They know what they want from their lives long-term. Yeah. And so sometimes it really is just about letting things run their course. I think also if you're missing your friend, like this question specifically said, like we don't want her, her boyfriend around. If the vibe isn't like, oh, I think he's wrong for her. It's just like, I don't want to be around this dude. Then scheduling one-on-one -on -one time with your friend where it's just the two of you can just be an important way to have that time with her. And when it's not a group setting and hopefully she's a good enough friend that she respects that that's your eyes is one-on-one -on -one time and isn't going to bring the guy along. Whether you are obsessed with their significant other, they're obsessed with yours and you're all friends. I still think it's so important to have alone time, you know, like it, yeah. otherwise then your good friendship becomes almost like a couple friendship. And then you're yeah. losing a piece of what it's like to just be you two or your group of friends or whatever it is. So Either way, yeah, I think that every friend should have one-on-one -on -one time. Yeah, I completely so agree. I'm big into compartmentalizing. That's a really good point. And that's also so true about allowing your friend to make mistakes. 
probably what you're experiencing and what I still am experiencing with even friends in their late 20s where it's like, this is not going to be your forever person. I'm not going to worry about yeah. it too much. You go on, make your mistake. But I also have the experience of friends who are marrying this person or have married the person. Right. That but I think that your advice and your thoughts on that ring true for that as well, because for example, if you're thinking you're not going to be happy with this person or they might cheat on you, they might do something wrong, like you should not commit to this person and they do, it's not going to be the end of their world. They yeah. are allowed to make mistakes as well, just like we are, you know, just like we've talked about in a different episode, how it's about trusting ourselves to be able to work through whatever comes up and that we will never lose sight of ourselves. I think the same compassion has to be shown on your friend. No matter what, they will be fine. They will get through it. You will be there to support them and that they're strong enough to learn mistakes, to have relationships not work out, to go through hard things and be okay. I think that's yeah, a great point totally. to trust your friend in that way. I completely agree. If you do have any questions, remember to DM us at the Every Girl Podcast on Instagram, or you can send an email to podcast at theevergirl.com to get your questions answered anonymously on the show. Just another thing, if you are enjoying the show or it has brought you any amount of value at all, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It is truly the best way to support the show. Also, feel free to share with your friends. We love to hear when you guys are posting it on social media. Let's go ahead and dive into Let's get this to guest because it's a good one. It actually, she has a lot of good relationship advice. Yeah, I was going to say, whoever wrote this should listen to this episode for sure. Yes. yes. If you are dealing with this situation, you will need this episode. Yeah. Our guest today is Dr. Cheyenne Bryant, who is a life coach and psychology expert. You may have seen her on your TVs as the life coach for MTV's Teen Mom, which is so cool because I loved that show when I was like, eight years old. Um, <laughs> she's, also president, she's also president of the San Pedro branch of NAACP, the founder of Dr. Brian Institute and Dr. Brian Foundation. And she is the author of the award-winning book, Mental Detox. Dr. Brian is a renowned motivational speaker and community activist. So she is doing a lot. On this episode, we chat how to make relationships work and why relationships don't last anymore. I thought this was really interesting why setting boundaries is important and what those actually look like because spoiler alert people often get them wrong i actually learned a lot about boundaries that i had no idea before talking to dr brian she also answers some of your audience questions from worrying about turning a new decade to reconnecting with yourself after a big life change like a breakup or being let go from a job and she shares so many interesting and different perspectives on relationships and mental health she actually changed my mind. We'll obviously get into it in the episode, but just to give an example, she was explaining how we are so quick to label behaviors mm -hmm. or relationships as toxic, which I think was so interesting because I'm the first person, like I just said, I'm the first person to be like, he's toxic, get him out of here, like done. You can yeah. do that. <laughs> first person to like really think that and be judgmental. And she changed my mind. And this was actually advice I've gotten from my therapist too, when I have worried about how do I know if my boyfriend's the one years ago, my therapist told me it has nothing to do with what they do, how they annoy you. That is actually not it. 
It's the way that they respond, Mm. how they grow with you, if they are willing to grow with you, if they apologize genuinely, if they change, if they want to grow with you, that is a relationship worth having. And I think we don't get that message a lot in this culture. That's very much like there's one perfect person out out there for you and they should be perfect. Dr. Bryant really changed my mind. I I thought a lot of what she said was really interesting. So let's go ahead and dive right into it. Please welcome Dr. Cheyenne Bryant to the Every Girl Podcast. I want to thank you for doing what you do because you are using your platform to inform other folks, your listeners. And then we're hoping that your listeners bring those tools to their family and friends. And I think that is so amazing. I honor you for having a platform that provides tools and information that saves people's lives. You don't know what people are going through. And it can be something as easy as a tool, something as easy as you sharing, self-disposing something you're going through that gives someone a, aha, I'm not alone moment. Those moments and those things change lives. And so thank you for having the heart to say, hey, I want to share things. I want to help people have a better quality of life and sense of self and mental health. And I love that we are uh, able to occupy that same space together. We definitely are kindred spirits in that way. It is cool to see and connect with people who are so on that mission as well, where you see the point of life, like you get it. We're just here to connect with each other and help other people live their best lives. The self-love piece, the mental health piece, the connection to self, that always comes first in order to be healthy in your body, in order to have a fulfilling career, in order to make more money. I think it all stems from self-love and mental health. So what you do is obviously crucial for the mental health piece alone, but it's also changing people's lives in every area. It's almost like a snowball effect. 100%. This is why I always say that sometimes you don't need me to give you a hammer. You already have it. It's just me showing you how you are using the hammer to destroy yourself and me showing you how to use it to build your home, your internal home. Sometimes it's as easy as that. Other times it's me giving the hammer and giving the toolbox and saying, hey, this is the hammer. These are the tools. This is how you build. And then other times it's like, look, you don't even need a hammer or tools. You have this beautiful home. I just need to shift your perception. And then I know if you need the hammer, if you need the toolbox, or if you just have this beautiful home, I need to remind you, look, look, Josie, you have this beautiful home. You're a rock star. You just got to shift the music in the home. It would change the whole culture of the house. That's all you need. And the other thing that's powerful, I'm telling you, Josie, I've learned that people, including myself, we just want to know, look, I got your back. You're going to be okay. I'm not leaving you hanging. I ain't judging you. I'm rolling with you till the wheels fall off. And even after that, I help you rebuild the wheel or we can walk it or scoot it or figure it out or sit, but I'm not leaving you. And I'm here. That has been the most pivotal, life-changing tool and resource I have found that they get is the love of I got you. And I'm not just concerned with you because you're my client in session. I'm concerned with what concerns you. It's an investment, but it's also an investment in myself, even if that sounds selfish, because it's rewarding for me to know that you know I got your back. And there's this camaraderie, there's this bonding, there's this connection that happens between client and I, and that feeds the hell out of me. It just feels really, really good to both parties. And it's, it's really a win-win. I think that's a beautiful way to see it and also experience it, it. And I think it's applicable to anybody is when you are invested and you care in someone else, 
the end goal is not just that they feel good, which is amazing, but you are receiving so much too. I think that true happiness, I've said this on the podcast before, true happiness is actually very deeply related to empathy and being able to connect so deeply with someone is a key piece of your own happiness. So when you're able to engage with people in that way, that is your happiness. And then also it increases their happiness too, because at the end of the day, what we all want is connectivity. We're all craving community. So I love that you view it that way. I actually, I don't see that as a selfish thing. That's actually more evidence of what we are meant to do as human beings is care and connect with others. For people, again, who are not coaches or who don't necessarily need this for their career path, I also think it's very applicable in the quest for people wanting to be liked. I think that's always a big question people want to know is how do I make people like me? One of the most sold books of all times is that how to win friends and influence people because everyone wants more friends. Everyone wants to be more liked. And I would love your perspective on this because it sounds like what you're saying is that what people actually want is not to look at someone else and be like, wow, they're so impressive and attractive and beautiful and accomplished. What they actually want, what liking someone else means is that they make you feel good about yourself, that they feel connected to you. Is that what you have found? So one thing that really stuck out that you said was we all seek community. Yeah, we do. Community will catapult you. It will drive you into places quicker, faster, more effective. Community and support is what gets you to where you want to be. It propels you like crazy. And it makes you feel absolutely awesome in the process of getting there. The other thing is you're absolutely right in the sense of people need to be connected to something. I use the word, which I like your word connected. I love the word. I use the word plugged in. I say we're all plugged into something. And the moment that we are not plugged into something, we are only plugged into ourselves. And the problem with being plugged into yourself is that isolation seeps in and isolation breeds depression. And the depression gets really dark. And also that likability of, I've learned, Josie, that people use the word, I want to be liked. And I feel like that word really represents, I want to be seen. I want to be acknowledged. I want to know that I'm cared for. And I want to know that there's someone who doesn't place conditions on needing me to feed into their codependency, meaning needing me to be who they need me to be for the sake of them being okay. They really just care and love me. And through that experience, that person then feels I'm liked, I'm loved, I'm seen. And through that, I'm connected to somebody. I'm connected to somebody. And the beautiful thing about connection is you can take it anywhere in the world a connection is something that doesn't defuse because you're not physically in each other's presence. And I think it feeds you in a different way. When you're connecting with people, you're filling up your own joy. At the end of the day, the purpose of life. We're, we're really starting off getting deep in here, but I think that's what it is, is being able to connect, not do they like me? How many friends do I have? We're a culture that's so obsessed with the likes and the amount of followers and connection, but in such an artificial way. So I think what you're saying is so important on reframing what is real connection coming from the heart space, not coming from, are we connected on social media? Is this person stroking my ego? Is this person doing something for me to get ahead? It's like, what is true connection? And I'm curious what your answer is. Like, what is true connection? How do people out there know 
what their true connections are and what that really looks like in this world that we're taught connection is something totally different. One word comes to mind when I think about the essence of what that means. It's one word is, is quality. It's not the quantity, meaning how many people, how many communities you can be a part of that you show up in and spread yourself thin in. It's about the quality of the relationships that you're having. For example, if you have two quality friends that are absolutely amazing and you both feed each other and fill each other up, those two quality relationships will always be more valuable than 250,000 followers on social media that do stroke your ego, that give you a lot of likes, that give you a lot of comments, that tell you how awesome you are and amazing you are, which is a false illusion or distorted commentary because these folks don't really know you. They will never compare to the quality of relationships you have. Where the issue and concern comes is when you're talking about a social media platform that is powerful. I mean, it's so powerful when it comes to branding and business and marketing and getting yourself out there and having a community of people that you don't know that can feed some positivity into you. What happens is people can get so caught up in that very superficial um, connection and quantity of relationships that they forget how to be in quality relationships. And I think that's what's happening. There's a lot of disconnect from folks being able to be emotionally available in relationships. And you cannot have a connected relationship or even a healthy relationship with someone without vulnerability, without an emotional connection. What it takes to have those healthy relationships that not only you feed into, but feed you and propel you to places that are where we want to be, but also necessary for having the relationships skill and having the emotional intelligence. And you can't gain relationship skill or emotional intelligence from social media. Words don't teach experience does. You have to be in relationship to learn how to be in a healthy relationship. You have to be in a place of vulnerability to learn how to be vulnerable. You have to be in a place of emotional connectivity to be able to exercise your emotional intelligence muscle. Otherwise, that muscle doesn't get the work and your relationships then become very logical relationships. They become surface and superficial. And that's why the divorce rate is high. That's why relationships can't last because you're not connected at a level that has any depth to it. It's just very surface and anything surface is easy to crack or get rid of or not find value in. Do you have any tips even tangible little daily things or weekly things. How can someone keep up that connection, whether it is a a significant other in a marriage and they don't want to go to divorce, or if it is a friendship that they care about, what does connection on a regular basis actually look like? Yeah, I love that question because I, I feel like a lot of people want a connection and they don't know what it feels like, possibly never had it, and they don't know how to obtain it. It takes tools such as effective communication. What is effective communication? It's not just expressing what I want to say. It's processing my message before I produce it. So it looks like, what message do I want Josie to have? What message do I want to send to you? That message is, I want to connect with you. I want a friendship. I I, I want us to have a loving, healthy relationship. If that's the message, how do I put words to that message without getting lost in what I feel, which is ego, and then my message is totally lost, right? So how do I put words to that? And words to that doesn't look like, I feel, I feel, I feel, which is ego. It looks like, look, I want a loving relationship with you. 
I want us to have something that's super close and super unique and super special. And what that looks like for me is we spend time. What that looks like for me is we have times that are quality where we're not on our cell phones or we're not distracted by TV. It looks like long walks on the beach. It looks like girl talk sometimes 11, 12 o'clock at night. It looks like text messages throughout the day that just say, what are you doing? Or girl, I miss you. Or how are you doing? Or just a poke that says, hi, that's what it looks like to me. And so Josie, what does it look like to you? Because I'm telling you my love friendship language. I want to know what it looks like to you. Okay. So are we both committed to doing the work that it takes to get us to that connectivity, to that quality type relationship? I'm committed. Can you commit? That is the first tool of being clear on what is your friendship love language? What is my friendship connect language? Or what is my relationship romance language? And let's see if we're both capable of providing those. Everything is about trust. And trust doesn't come from me having to ask you investigative questions. Trust comes from you being forthcoming and providing a transparency to me that says, this is who I am. And that's what real relationships are about. A healthy relationship is not a relationship that doesn't have issues. It's not a relationship that does not have dysfunction. This is why people don't have relationships today, because they are very conditional. They are extremely judgmental. People are coming in and saying, if you have one issue or one dysfunction, then it's done. And they're calling toxicity and they're calling dysfunction, dysfunctional toxicity, when those a lot of times are normal relationship baselines. They are normal relationship journeys that folks go through that are actually the circumstance that get y'all closer. They're actually the learning curves that you have to experience to obtain the healthiness. And there's no person, no human being that will ever be toxic free or dysfunction free. It doesn't happen like that. And so the idea is to get out of the judgment of if you're toxic, I'm gone. Well, then you're going to be an island and be alone. And you're going to be by yourself and you won't have community because everyone, even myself, I'm a 16 year season coach. You started off as a marriage, family, and child therapist. I do work on myself all day, every day. And there's still a lot of things about me that are very unhealthy. There's still things about me that are toxic. There's still things about me that are dysfunctional, especially depending on the person who's experiencing me. There's still things about me that can be overwhelming for folks and can be dominating for some people in the way that I operate in my strength or in my power. Does that mean that I'm wrong or I'm off or I'm kooky? No, it means I have to find a community. I love that word you used that fits my weirdness, my dysfunction, that can be unconditional with how I show up. And there's a group for everybody. And no one has to do so much of conforming They just have to continue to be better for who they are. And then you collectively find your people. And when you find your people, there's a piece that comes over you and then that goes, oh my God, you're weird. I'm weird in those ways. Let's be weird together. And then it happens. The joy happens. The peace happens. The party happens. Instead of going into a room and going, okay, I got to be perfect. I have to conform. But when I leave here, I'm going to feel worse. I'm going to be decharged, depleted. I'm going to question everything about myself because they're so perfect and I'm not. They have no issues. I have all these issues. We need to let each other be crazy and weird and funky and help that process and be okay in it. That's such a great reminder because there is all the romanticized movies and television that's like the perfect one, your perfect match. So then you get in your head on like, well, if they don't do X, Y, Z perfectly. Does that mean there's someone else out there that would do that more? And we see that in friends too. It's easier and easier to write people off if they do one thing that bothers you or irks you. It's easy to go find someone that's better. And that's not 
the human connection. You know, it is looking human to human and saying, I love you still. We are still in this together. And I love you in addition to because of encompassing those quirks, because that's how we want to be loved too. So we need to love people that way also. How do you know though, when it is a relationship that actually is not good for you at the end of the day, and it is something that you should break? Because I think that's where people who stay in relationships that are actually very damaging for them, whether it is a family relationships with a parent, with a significant other, or with a friend, people stay in those thinking, well, no one's perfect. Like I'll accept them, which is an amazing thing. But at the end of the day, it's sucking them from having their best life, you know? So how do you find that balance of accepting and loving people's quirks and knowing when a relationship is actually just not right for you? Another great question. So if a relationship is abusive, right? Abusive in ways that are physical, abusive in ways that are extremely emotionally traumatizing. And so we know what physical abuse looks like. Emotional abuse looks like, right? You're dumb, you're stupid, you're never gonna be anything. I hate you. And those things are happening very consistently. Now, I'm not talking about you have a blow up argument one time in a year, one time in three years, and your partner says F you and you say, hey, screw you. You know, and you're having this argumentative match of emotions are high and everyone's heard and no one's speaking from logic and everyone's trying to self-project the pain that they feel on each other. Do I think those are terms for ending a relationship? Absolutely not. I would never tell a couple in my session, I have never, you had an argument and that's normal. Now, the question is, do you want to argue differently? Or do you want to argue that way every time, once a year, once every two years? And this is the key thing, Josie. It's subjective. Someone on the outside can say that's so abusive to tell someone F you, tell them to go to hell. Okay, then guess what? You don't choose that type of relationship since it doesn't work for you. They may not be the couple that bickers every single day, which could drain somebody. Then maybe that couple have enough emotional intelligence and maturity to let the small stuff go. And then maybe a year or two comes and that small stuff ain't going to fly today and they have a strong opinion about it. Do I think that that couple needs to separate? Hell no. And this is why couples and people and therapy and coaching is not cookie cutter. And they should not be seeing a coach or a therapist that thinks that every resolution works as a cookie cutter type of solution. Now, if you're with somebody and you say, I'm with this person. And for some reason, when I'm with them, I feel imbalanced. And I feel like they're just taken away from me being able to pursue my goals and, and pursue what I want to be. I still don't think that that relationship is a relationship problem. To me, that's a you problem. What I would say is, well, let's work on you having balance. And maybe you can tell your partner that you need a little more me time. You may not need to end the entire relationship. And then let's figure out how we can get you focused and how we can get you balanced. So let's talk about the anxiety behind what was already in you that has intensified. And I think the issue of concern for me is so many people in this culture, our, our generation, their go-to is sabotage. Their go-to is abandon the other person, their relationship. Their go-to is to neglect, pull out, pull the plug. That is not the answer. I think that folks need to learn more of the stick-through. I think it's what you said. It's learning what is okay or meant for me to stick through and where I should pull out. I don't think they should stick through something with someone who's not willing to do some healing with them and within themselves. I don't think they should stick through somebody who says, this is just who I am and screw you. Those are terms for saying, do I want to be with this person? Not because you're superior with your health or mental health than them, because they're not giving the flexibility of growth. 
And if there's no flexibility of growth, how does the relationship survive? As long as they're willing to shift, grow, do the work, I say that person is worth the effort. They're worth the investment. They're worth the equity. And folks got to get used to some sweat equity. You don't get anything that you don't invest in. And people are not investing in relationships. And this is why they are demising individually. This is why I believe depression, anxiety is at an all-time high. And this is why I believe there's not a lot of community like there used to be. And now there's a lot of individualistic and individualism that's going on. And folks are literally being eaten alive internally. I so appreciate this perspective, Dr. Brian, because I admittedly have very much been that person in the past. I mean, even up until like today where I'm like, relationship shouldn't be that complicated and clearly very judgmental. And I appreciate that perspective of it because we throw a lot of judgments and expectations around that we wouldn't want thrown to us. I wouldn't want my boyfriend to be thinking, well, if she messes up, she's not the right one for me. Like I wouldn't want that. So what I'm taking away from this is that it's about the feeling that you have, that every relationship is going to have super happy moments, but those happy moments look different to every relationship. And it's also going to have moments of disagreement. Maybe it's highlighting your abandonment issue or anxiety, or it's stroking an issue within you. And that looks different to different people. But as long as you're willing to grow together, that's how you know that it's worth sticking around with is if they're responding to you needing something else and you're responding to them needing something else and you're willing to grow together. I know you mentioned confidence, and this is another thing I would love to talk about with you because it's a topic that we talk about a lot on this podcast. To me, confidence embodies the way that we love our appearance and body confidence, but also the confidence that you can accomplish what you want out of life. What advice do you have for building self-image and boosting confidence? Where does that come from? The nucleus of where that comes from is your self-talk. What are you saying to yourself every day, all day? And not just the things that you are aware that you're saying, what are some of the dormant subconscious things that you listen to as small as you saying like, oh my God, what's wrong with me, right? That needs to be reprogrammed. And you need to reprogram to say, wait a minute, nothing's wrong with me. I am operating in the exact space I'm supposed to, or no, I'm giving my best and I'm going to work on my time management. No worries about that. Or time is always on my side. Time is always working out for me. Um, Why is life so hard for me? No, life is always working out for me. Life is always working out for me. Life is always working in my favor, which I do as well with myself throughout the day. The first nucleus is how do you talk to yourself? The second nucleus is the word that you use early on, which I love. I am a boundary freaking mama. I love boundaries. How are the folks around you talking to you? How are the folks around you treating you? Are they celebrating you or are they tolerating you? If they're tolerating you, it's going to disempower you. And anytime you're disempowered, you will start to see your confidence dissipate. So how do you control that. You set boundaries, but first you make sure that you are treating them in a way that's going to empower them before you start setting boundaries with them. Celebrate them through a text if you can't be in person with them. If you can't do it at all, then it's best that you totally distance yourself from that relationship. You don't have to sabotage or cut, but just start to do things separate little by little. Um, and, and then set a boundary. Hey, listen, I, I talk to you well. I'm positive with you. I support you. And so I want to make sure that you're clear on that's what I also require in this relationship because that's what helped me be better for me and better for you. And so we got to make this a win-win. And that is a, a healthy way to set a boundary. Setting a boundary isn't pointing the finger and saying you don't and you need to. That is not setting a boundary. That is demanding something. A boundary comes from a place of love because you're only setting a boundary with someone that you want to have a healthy relationship with. 
If not, why are you even setting a boundary? Boundaries are for relationships. Boundaries are not for folks you're not going to have a relationship with. And so if you want to be in a relationship, you set a boundary with love and respect. Hey, buddy, I, I love you. I want to be here. I want to be in this thing with you. But this is what I need from you. Can you commit to it? Well, let's rock and roll. Let's do it. Things really aren't as hard as we make them. They feel way worse than they are. We need not personalize life because life is not meant to be personalized. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be lived. And that's also subjective. How do you want to enjoy it? How do you want to live it? And lastly, make sure that you are having a self-love relationship with yourself. You have to make sure that you are standing in your power. You're being as big as you are, no matter how small it makes somebody else feel. Once you start to shrink yourself, that smallness can become your norm. And what happens when you create a new norm or a baseline, life will always give you what you need to keep you at baseline. If someone says, hey, Josie, get off your high horse and you worked your ass off to get on your high horse, it should be, you know what? I worked too damn hard to get up on this horse because there was a, a long moment in time and years and days that I was on the bottom looking, trying to how to get up. I will help you get up here before I get down there. And so that is what the conversation looks like. I don't get off my high horse to come down to where you are. If your perspective is that you're lower, not that I'm looking at you lower, if that's your perspective, but I will help you shift your perception to get up where I'm at. But I can't come down there because it's too hard to get back up. That's just it. I think that's so true. So many women, especially, are held back because they have these ideas of you don't deserve to be this level of confident. I think that's something that a lot of us have internalized as women, especially, is I do not deserve to be that level of confident. I do not deserve to set boundaries. That's one that I think shows up a lot is I do not deserve to tell this person that this is what I need. That is why it's called a limiting belief is because it's a belief that is limiting you from being able to reach your full potential, to live your full life and to be fully confident. And limiting beliefs is something I've been working on a lot with my confidence journey because there's the obvious ones that I think we talk about a lot. We all look in the mirror and say, I am not pretty enough or I don't look good enough. And then and there may be the ones that, you know, for me, it was a lot of, I'm not a business person. I'm not good at business. So I'm not going to be good at finances. So I'm working on a lot of my own limiting beliefs. And I'm curious, what are those other common limiting beliefs that you think that women especially have, but that are not talked about a lot? Yeah, great, great question. So societal constructs on women obviously are very different. Some of those are, let me stick through this abusive. Remember I said, if a relationship is abusive, we're not talking about the normalcy of a healthy relationship. Let me stick through this abusive relationship because I have kids. And if I leave society, will view me as a failure. That is one big one for women is they stick through a relationship for the sake of the kids and at the expense of killing their heart. The other thing with women is boundaries come with the expense of a loss. And so I don't want to set a boundary. And then what happens if I lose it or him or my partner at the expense of this boundary that I'm setting? The other thing is a huge one with women that are very, very limited thinking is if I set this boundary, I may look like I'm insecure. Well, you are insecure. We all are. So, hey, welcome to the truth of reality. We all have insecurities. We just speak them differently. We mask them differently. The other thing is when it comes to business, where do I fit in at? Do I have to change the culture of my individual cultural identity to be able to fit in this room, fit in the boardroom? Are they going to take me serious? Will my advice be valued? Does my opinion really matter as much? I know that happens a lot in politics with women. It happens a lot with women in male-dominant fields. 
where is my seat at the table? But let me explain something to you about what confidence and being empowered does. When you are a confident woman and you are empowered and you have a strong sense of self, you don't walk in a room looking for where your seat is. You walk in the room and because of your confidence and your power, you command a certain presence and every chair and table will reorganize itself to make sure it shows you your seat at the head of the table. Whoa. Seat, the room will reorganize itself for you. And the last one is women showing up to places feeling like they don't belong, whether it's because of their ethnicity or it's because of their gender or if it's because of their sexual preference or if it's because it's male dominant field or because like you said, they don't feel like they have enough education or skill in this one field. You have to do what we talked about in that last question, which is called self-talk, the nucleus of your confidence. And you have to remind yourself, well, how did I get here in the first place? If I calibrated this, then I belong here. It's mine. And so let me check myself to show up in a way that says, hey, I belong here. Women have to understand people in general, but since the question was particularly to women, we have to understand that when we come to a place, a room, a conversation, a business, a company, an industry, that we are there to implement what our culture, our values, and who our authenticity represents into that industry. And so if we don't fit in with how they do it or how they say it, then maybe it's because the way you do it and how you say it is the missing piece to what that industry needs. And what if it is? Those are the things I feel from my experience, me being a woman and me hearing women in, in session, who come for personal concerns and for business coaching is, I don't know how to do this. It's a male dominant field. When I come in, I'm just feeling like there's no place for me. I'm feeling like I don't belong there where you do belong. And there's not a place for you. You have the place and you are the place when you show up. And I think when you come in with that, you calibrate who you are. And so remember, it's law of attraction, not law of insertion. So you're always going to track what you believe. And the thing about attraction is you can't just think yourself into it. You have to feel. You have to embody that at what you want. That is so freaking good. I love how you reframed it. And it's true. Like limiting beliefs, it's just a belief that we have picked up over time. We can pick up a new belief. And instead of a limiting belief, it can be an abundant belief or an inspiring belief, or it can be any other kind of belief besides limiting because they're all just thoughts in our brain. We have some audience Q&A that I really want to get to because we had so many questions pouring in for you. One person asks, I'm turning 30 soon and I'm having a panic attack just thinking about it. I am nowhere near I thought it would be by 30. Do you have any advice? So for anyone going through a life change or milestone, whether it's turning a new decade or something that feels scary, what advice do you have? Oh, I love it because let me tell you about your 30s. Ah, and this is going to not be good, but it's going to turn good with my answer. Your 30s, that first 30 to 35-ish, buckle up, baby. Buckle up because it oh, no. literally, I'm being honest, from experience and from many of my 30-year-olds are going into 30s, the beginning to mid-30s are the most challenging spaces of your life. In your 30s, you're building your confidence muscle. You're building your sense of self muscle. You're building everything you need as a person to be able to thrive and not be codependent. So in our 20s, we're very dependent on everything that helps us, that makes us think we know everything. In our 30s, we're being stripped of this codependency, which is what you want. And so you're learning to thrive. It's like 
you're a caterpillar in your 20s and you come into your 30s, you're getting your wings and getting your wings is everything you want, but you're feeling the growing pains of shedding the caterpillar. So hang in there. If you're not experiencing anything funky, which I'm sure you are, we all do, then hey, you're doing great. But if you are, you're normal. You're a normal 30-year-old going through normal things. And my advice to you and tools would be to lean on your support system as much as you can and more than you ever have. Get you a therapist, a coach that has culture competence and culture is not just race. Culture is also an age culture of where you are culturally at your age, what you're going through and that can hold your hand through it. And then listen, trust the process and more importantly, trust yourself because you will get through it. The process is going to come full circle. And I want you to try to focus on how you can stay as happy and as peaceful as you can through this journey. Because self-mastery is not about changing life because you won't change it. It's about how can I keep my peace and my joy, my happiness, while life does what it does to everybody. And don't personalize anything in your 30s. Do not personalize it. It's not happening to you. It's happening for you. It's happening for you. I've talked to dozens and dozens of women on the podcast And a common question that I'll ask is, what is the biggest difference between your 20s and 30s? Or if you're in their 40s or 50s, what are those biggest difference between each decade? And it's so interesting here you say that because the most common answer I've gotten to the point that I've stopped asking this question because this is everyone's answer is when I was in my 30s, I started to live for me rather than living for other people and worrying about what other people want from me. Like it makes me, I'm 20, turning 28 soon. I'm amped to turn 30 because I'm like, that sounds really fun. And the other thing, Dr. Brian, this is going to be so not for your professional advice, but something that I tell myself when I start to be like, oh my God, by 35, they say that your eggs start like we as women have that annoying biological clock ticking. That's so annoying. But what I tell myself that is not professional advice whatsoever that you probably would check off. But what I tell myself is Kim Kardashian was marrying Chris Humphreys when she was like, 32 and she had to divorce him and then marry someone else and then have four children. So like, we're fine. But I think that for me, for some reason, soothes my anxiety about age. But I think at the end of the day, it's our lives. We get to design it. There's a thousand different ways to have the life that you want. And I think that everything happens for a reason. It doesn't freaking matter what age it is. 30 is a scary time that that's the honest truth. And you can expect that, but it's going to bring more self-presence, more connection to self. Like I, that was the most honest, helpful advice that I've heard for going into a new decade. So thank you for that. That's a great answer. Absolutely. Okay. One more question that I, I liked this wording from this listener who wrote, I would love advice on reconnecting with yourself after a big life change, such as a breakup. So if you're feeling distance from yourself and then all of a sudden this big life change happens and you're like, who am I? How do you reconnect with that self? Yeah, oh, that's so good. Because this question can relate to everybody of all ages, of all genders, and all circumstance, death, breakup, any of that stuff. There's a balance, a really perfect, and I hate the word perfect, but I'm using it, really perfect balance between not isolation, but solitude, lots of time to yourself that allows you to not overthink yourself out of happiness. It allows yourself to sit with yourself allows yourself to be who you are, be okay in what you just went through, be okay in who you are in that moment and remind yourself that, you know what, this really did happen to me. And it has happened to a lot of people. And I may be alone physically in this, but emotionally, energetically, I'm not. There's so many people going through this right now. 
And I wonder how they're getting through it. And then start to find the things that light you up. Write those things down. Make those things your go-to. That's 50% of the balance. The other 50% is, in particular to breakups, I'm not the coach that says, when you go through a breakup, you got to spend all this time by yourself, to yourself. And until you heal, you don't date. I think that is horrible advice. I think that it breeds depression. I think that it makes people sit in their darkness too long. And then it creates a norm of depression. It creates a norm of darkness. And sometimes folks get so dark, they can't get out of it. And when they start to date again, they don't have those connectivity relationship skills to even socialize. So my advice would be take that alone time, half of the time, whether it's half of the day or half of the week, however you want to half it and sit with you, get to know you, but let yourself feel cry and be where you are, who you are, and process. The other 50% is whether you feel like it or not. Get up, get dressed, do something, go somewhere with somebody. Connect. I don't care if you are sitting in a room with your five or 10 friends and you tell them, look, buddy, I'm a sit. I'm not in the mood to speak. I don't feel good. And you may see me get up and leave to the bathroom. I'm having a crying moment. Leave me alone. But I need you in energy around people and humans. Even if you sit as the observer, I don't care. If you go to the beach and sit as an observer, I don't care. Get around people, get around humans, get around things that have different energy that you can connect to, you can vibe off of, that can help chip away what you're going through. My dad told this to me as a teenager and he was right. The quickest way to get over somebody is to fall in like or love with somebody else. Am I saying jump from relationship to relationship? No. What I'm saying is that be open to having relationship. That means companionship. That doesn't mean you're marrying in the next month. It means you're going to move in with someone and be committed quick. That means I can do coffee, lunch, a walk on the beach with someone who I think is attractive and I don't have to marry them tomorrow. I can have a companion, a friendship with somebody who I like, someone who's liking me, who makes me feel desired, who I'm missing, who I'm thinking about, not who I'm becoming codependent on. So allow things and people in life to also love and nurture you through these spaces, just as you've allowed them to give you this breakup and give you a really hard life lesson. You got to have the balance, but do not isolate. Do not sit and wait till you heal to be with someone else because none of us will ever be fully healed. None of us. And so you can't wait for that moment, right? You got to be a jumper. Take your time to get to know who you are, what you're going through, love on yourself, and then say, hey, where are the people at? Where are the, the hot girls, the hot guys at? The people who I've learned thrive through circumstance the best are the people who bounce back the quickest. And the people who bounce back the quickest are the people who get up and go socialize. They get up and find their community. They get up and they don't isolate. They get up with a broken heart. They get up with anxiety. They get up with a knot in their stomach and they go put themselves in places with people who they can reconnect with because all you did was disconnect and you're filling the residue of the disconnect, the detachment. So why would you stay detached if your pain is coming from the detachment? Go attach to some fun stuff, some, some good people. Go attach to a good book, but also good humans. Go sit poolside and talk to the person next to you. So I think it's important to get out there and keep that fuse, that electricity going. Because once this is gone, people go dark. Mm. I feel like if we could have like a theme of this whole conversation or a thesis statement, it is that connectivity is medicine. Very last question from me. This is my question. 
is that I know you've helped a lot of people get out of ruts. You've helped people reach their dream lives. You've helped people tap into their full potential. What would you say are the key traits or habits or mindsets of the most successful people? Once they fall, they get up quick. They buckle up and they're back into their job. They're back into their sprint. These are people who have a strong internal locus and the folks who get up the quickest, get back on the track, tie up their lace, lace up their sneakers. Or if you want to run in pumps, that's fine too, whatever works. But they get back on the track and they get back into their pace are the folks that tend to get through life, hardships and circumstance, the most effective, and they seem to be the most happiest. Second thing is the people who are the most social, that goes back to connectivity, the people who are most involved in community, their community, other people's community, service of other people. Those folks are the people who have longevity with life expectancy and they have the happiness. And so my advice would be get up quick, get back into your pace, whatever that looks like. The longer you stay down, the longer you will stay down. My mom said something really cool to me last week. She said, shy, you know, I, I, I just figured in my mind that mental health are people who just know how to have really good relationships with other people and themselves. And I said, mom, you know what? You couldn't have simplified it anymore. Mental health is just how healthy is your relationship with yourself and other people? How connected and plugged in are you to self and other people? Your quality of life will always be predicated on the wealth of your relationships not the wealth in your bank account. Wow. Mic drop right there. Go off, Dr. Bryant. That was amazing. That's the perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for all of your advice. Where can everyone find you and get more Dr. Bryant and work with you if they're interested? You can find me at drbryant.co and that's drbryant.co, not .com. On social media, Instagram, I'm underscore Dr. Bryant. If you Google me as Dr. Cheyenne Bryant, Dr. Bryant, I come up number one, so you can find me there. And on my website, we offer coaching, private retreats. We also do uh, mental health and wellness literacy workshops for corporations and businesses and people and churches. And we have a life coaching certification program that we are just recently launching. And that program um, allows folks to become certified as a life coach and build their own thriving coaching practice and start changing lives, which is so rewarding. I know there's a lot of people listening who are going to want to go check you out. Thank you so much again, Dr. Brian, for being here. It was such a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Every Girl Podcast on Instagram or theeverygirlpodcast.com. Talk to you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 